Times Like Now is an interview program. Interviews with interesting people and the stories that they tell. On this episode, it's been 42 years to the month since Mount St. Helens blew a third of its top off. My guest, Rob Robertson, drove through the dark, ash-covered roads that day, and he shares his story with me. I'm Trevor Collins, and this is Times Like Now. Rob Robertson, thank you so much for joining me on the program today. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. So you have a, a, a very unique story, I think. The simple fact that, you know, the, the world was watching our little corner of the Pacific Northwest on that, on that day. The whole country and the whole world was watching Mount St. Helens do its thing. And not a lot of people got to see it from the perspective that we here in, in the area did. Take me back there. Uh, set the scene. Take me back to that morning. That morning, I was actually in Washougal, Washington. Um, I worked in Spokane, but I, my uh, future wife, fiance at the time in 1980, was living in Washougal. So I was down visiting her. And um, so that's where I was when the, my journey started. What was the morning like when you woke up and heard the news? woke up to uh, my mother-in-law waking us up and uh, future mother-in-law. And she said, Hey, you guys, uh, um, Mount St. Helens blew. And so we just got up, looked outside and saw the craziness and then, then turned on the news and saw the craziness. And I, this was Sunday morning. So I had to get back to work to Spokane. So that's, uh, that's when I basically said goodbye to them and decided to, drive to Spokane, probably against the, the better judgment and better wishes of, of my future wife. So driving right into, into the ash and, and the potential of yeah. who knows what's going to be up the road. And now, uh, tell me about the vehicle you were driving. I was driving a 1972 Volvo, um, which was in great condition. And uh, so I was well prepared as far as driving a pretty good vehicle to get up there. Um, But my journey started with me driving across the uh, interstate bridge into Portland and deciding to drive down uh, Highway 80 towards Idaho on the Oregon side. The uh, cool thing about that was that uh, I could look off to my left and follow the mountain and follow the ash going due east. So I was just trying to race the ash uh, and try to get ahead of it. And so that was that was pretty epic view from looking to the left of me and watching the ash cloud go and me speeding down highway high 80 to uh, try to beat it. And. What time did you leave? I mean, how long did it take for that ash to really start? I mean, did it did the sky go dark on your journey? Um, not where I was because I, I was going uh, parallel to the, the ash cloud. But uh, right. this is about 930 in the morning. So the mountain, I think, blew right around 8 o'clock in the morning or roughly 7 something. 830, I think. Yeah. And um, so I'm driving down the, the freeway parallel to the ash cloud and I get to Tri-Cities, Washington. And that were, that is where you go from Oregon to Washington uh, over a couple bridges over the Columbia River. And then you get into Tri-Cities, and then Tri-Cities was right on the edge of the ash cloud. So uh, if you could imagine any epic movie where you're 
you're in clear skies and then you see just nothing but black and dark and thunder and lightning going off ahead of you. And uh, so that's when I started getting towards the mountain or getting towards the uh, giant cloud of ash. And uh, Tri-Cities is still about another four hours from Spokane. And I'd been on the road for about an hour and a half at this point. And so it's about 10.30 in the morning at this point. And uh, I decided to get some supplies because it was important if I was going to go into this cloud of ash. And, and this is where it gets a little funny is I stopped at a gas station and, and I didn't have a map. And this is 1980, so this is before cell phones and, and all that. So I pulled into a gas station and pretty much everything was well deserted or deserted. So there was, was a lot of ro- uh, cars on a road. I uh, pulled in the gas station, filled up the tank full of gas, went inside um, and I needed supplies. So I bought a 12 pack of beer <laughs> and a box, a box of Ritz crackers and, for emergency supplies. <laughs> so, <laughs> well stocked. Yeah. Uh, it was, you know, here I am. Uh, how old was I? 21, one year years old. Um, so I was uh, a little concerned about uh, my livelihood and I didn't want to spend much time at the gas station. And again, I didn't have a map to drive because I knew I was going to probably end up driving some back roads. Um, and so anyway, so I stared at the wall. There was a giant map there. And um, so we were, uh, I was looking at the map and I saw all the roads, back roads to Spokane. And I ended up um, memorizing the rights and the left and the left turns and the numbers and then the uh, street names and the highway names. So anyway, got back into the vehicle and started driving. And within a half a mile, I was uh, stopped by uh, a roadblock and it was the fire department. Um, and they said, uh, the road is closed. You can't go any further. Um, so instead of turning around, I just basically told them that, uh, uh, I need to get through there cause I have to go to work. And they said, well, you, you, we're not allowing anybody to go by there. I said, well, I just, I know, I know people just down the road and he said, all right. So he let me go by there. <laughs> Fibber. <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, I made it about another five miles, and I was and then state patrol was there, and again they said no, you're not going through, and and the state patrol they had already put these exterior uh, exhaust things on their um, exhaust pipes or something from coming from their engine, so the exhaust pipe went up so they could their ash wouldn't get into their engines, and I thought that was kind of odd, but that was kind of cool looking. And the ash was already starting to get on the roadway. So the ash was around uh, probably eight inches deep already. Eight inches deep in oh, just yeah. like two like, and a half hours. Yeah. And it was like a, uh, it was wow. just a, a cloudy, ugly, uh, powdery snowstorm. And so um, when I got to this roadblock, same thing he said we're not letting you go through and i said i just know people right down the road which was the truth it just happened to be four hour drive <laughs> um, so I, uh, I he said all right go ahead and go and so but every time i had to roll my window down um the ash got into the gears of my window and Ele- was it electric windows 
Uh, yes, and yeah. but the 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 ashes is crystal and it's kind of glassy, so it's real rough material. So when it got in there and I kept rolling the window down to talk to a policeman, it finally ground the gears and I couldn't roll the window back up. So I was about oh, four no. inches from the top, and several times I had to stop. Now it is pitch dark out, and so the only thing I could see is from my he- headlights is this snow falling or this giant ash falling and that's all i could see so several times i had to get outside my car to scrape off the the headlights which were now four inches deep in ash and um i couldn't breathe either because i you can't cover your mouth you don't have a gas mask or anything like that so i found a a, one of my in my suitcase i found a sock (laughs) so i tied a sock around my face and i had a baseball cap on and, and and uh my glasses and i just went out there covered my mouth up with the sock and scooped out the uh the headlights and you're driving and i got back in but the ash is now coming through my window and now i've got about six inches of ash in my back seat and it's flowing around because the window's open (laughs) and so um and if you get off the ruts in the road too the ash just buries you like you're just diving into the ocean it just comes right up over your car and it's light it's fluffy and you just got to stop the brakes for a second so you can get back into the uh, uh, the ruts of the ash. And if there's no vehicles that have driven this before, which there has been, you're you're just putting this ash right over your front of your car and you you uh, it's crazy. So How, that, what kind of distance were the headlights reaching? Like what are you visibility wise? Maybe ten yards. And so I was driving probably 10 to 15 miles per hour. Right. That was my next question. Yeah. And it was crazy because you you could hardly tell a road different than the side of the road or or an open field or something. So you're hoping you're still on the road. (laughs) Um, uh, Streetlights, couldn't hardly see them, uh, just way in the distance maybe. Sometimes you get a little clearing and then would just go away real quick. And I'm still driving the, probably the biggest part of the ash cloud was um, about the same latitude as Spokane and as the mountains. So I'm still driving diagonally into this ash cloud. And keep in mind too, I left about, uh, what, 9.30 in the morning. And it is probably 3 30, uh, four o'clock in the afternoon now, and it's still pitch black. And when I was at the gas station memorizing streets and stuff, I was still hardly, you can't see the street signs now. And, and I'm, I'm just mm-hmm. guessing, um, taking the left here, taking the right here. I stayed off the major highways only because I couldn't find them at this point. <laughs> so I was just driving as diagonal as I could. Driving blind, yeah. driving blind. And just hopefully, hopefully you're staying on the road. But uh, I knew I'd be saving even if I had to spend the night because I had a 12-pack of beer and Ritz crackers. <laughs> Eventually, I got there. See, this was Sunday morning, 9.30. I got there at um, 1.30 in the morning Monday uh, to Spokane, which is normally a five-hour drive, worst case. Right. Now, in those next number of hours, 
I mean, did you run across other people that were out in it? And did you see others struggling and having issues? What's kind of the, what was the road story about? Um, <laughs> Any hitchhikers? <laughs> no, uh, fortunately for them. Um, no, I was, it, it was eerily quiet, eerily uh, uh, alone. I mean, quite literally, I, the only cars I saw were the state patrols that were occasionally out there and uh, the fire department, which stopped me uh, at the roadblock. Um, even driving past people's homes and stuff, lights were off. It was just really creepy. It was like last man standing on the planet Earth when there was, you know, the the mountain blue. And it was like, man, this is weird. And the radio, I, I had a fairly consistent, but this is, again, 1980. You didn't really have a great um, radio reception anyway, and I had AM radio. So I, had, I was trying to catch any radio stations that I could hear, and most of it was just saying, the condition of the mountain and they're still looking for survivors. Um, please stay off the roads. Do not breathe it. Do not wash it down with water. Cause their first exp- anticipation was that it's going to be so acid that uh, the water and the ash mixed together and it's going to corrode things and be potentially da- dangerous to breathe or touch. So here I am covered with ash <laughs> head to toe. Cause my <laughs> windows down and having to go out and scrape my headlights off about every five miles. So it was a very interesting journey. One I didn't anticipate. And it was only just so I could get back to work. I should have just stayed with my future bride. Yeah. I was saying, I'm sorry. I can't make it. I'm going to take some time off. Exactly. Uh, <clears throat> did you cross uh, rivers? Did you see like anything coming down rivers? I know there was a lot of tree loss that put those trees into the water system no uh, did you um, run across that <clears throat> no i didn't because that was north of me uh, that was up near uh toodle toodle river and uh lewis county which is the next county north of us and i was going uh, to the other side of the state do in, in in a path so i didn't see any of that i it was just again i was driving through pitch darkness when I got there, I had to knock on the door because uh, my roommate had the door locked and I didn't have the key to the place. And my roommate opened the doors and all he was staring at was a guy covered in ash with eye holes were, with a, a, under his hat. And uh, also and a sock a, in your mouth, a sock tied around my head. And he's like, what the heck? Why? Where had you been? So anyway, after I explained that, um, we got and that up. was it. And that was at one in the morning. Yeah, that was the one. One to one thirty in the morning after a, a long, long drive, and um, first thing we did is got up in the morning and listened to the news. And there was a state of emergency. There was no television. The only only thing you could hear was the, uh, you know that that test they do with the national broadcasting system. Right. That was what was in control of our television. So there was no news to watch. There was. Uh, the radio was the only thing that was broadcasting news, but then again, you uh, were only listening to the the uh, state of emergency. So you were supposed to stay off the road. We were told we were supposed not to use water to spray off your cars or your houses or your animals or whatever. There was um, these large fields of crops where cows and 
and gardens and and farms that were now a foot to two feet deep in ash. And um, I mean, so you had to wash this ash off of your face and your hair and your and they told you not to use water. I mean, what? Yeah, because uh, again, their initial impressions were that it was going to uh, be caustic and burn you or worse. And uh, so my roommate and I immediately got up on the roof of our house because you could see a long distance. Uh, but everything was blanketed in this kind of white, grayish ash. Um, but we repeatedly grabbed the hose and started hosing off the house. And, and, and every neighbor in the neighborhood started doing the same thing. Um, but we were shut down for a week, um, the whole uh, a week to 10 days without any television or anything in the state of emergency. You were not supposed to go over 15 miles an hour. And literally, if a car drove by any faster than that, it was the, the ash was whipped up and it'd take 10 minutes to get back down to normal. So there was that. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I have a a small medicine bottle, like a, you know, turn of the century medicine bottle with uh, ash in it. Hmm. I still, that I still own that I gathered up during that time. And uh, yeah, just looking at the consistency and kind of, I put some in my hand and, and uh, cause it's, I mean, I haven't opened this jar in 20 years, but the anniversary had me thinking about it and your story. I wanted to feel it on my skin. It's um interesting stuff it is so light and powdery yeah uh, it's less than sand and people don't it's, know uh, it but there's still a lot of it out there um if you're in, in between portland oregon and uh, seattle washington there's a town called uh, longview and uh, toledo washington and that whole stretch of highway there is when that total river and everything got flooded and it was flooded with ash and just a, one giant looks like concrete flowing down a river and all the logs and everything. They excavated all that out of there and put it next to the highway and just started piling it up. And so these piles are still there, but people just think that it's a big mound of dirt because now there's grass growing on it and it's camouflaged. So you don't know it's there. I'm in the construction industry and they're putting uh, new gas stations in along the highway all the way up to Seattle and, and these gas stations are digging into this ash and they're having trouble finding the base of it. So they're having to dig even dirt further down by another 10, 15 feet just to find solid dirt so they can actually put the foundations of these gas stations in and stuff. It's pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's really interesting. I, and I remember going for, well, I was a younger person, a younger kid at the time, but traveling with my parents uh, through that, some of that deep and, and seeing it alongside the roads piled up like, like small pyramids or, or, you know, uh, just pure ash for miles. And I always was concerned being, you know, living in the Portland area at, at a, as a kid, if that river, if that mountain were to have blown South instead of North into the le much less populated area, if that had hit the different story, if it had come down the Columbia River. Yeah, it, it would have been uh, direction. pretty devastating. Um, it, it, it actually had a little bit of that when the wind was uh, going differently. I think it was a month prior to that. It, it 
did what, what I would just call a uh, tectonic burp, and it burped out some ash, and it actually came into Portland. And so you'll see news reports in the local newspapers and early television reports that, oh, you know, Mount St. Helens blew up ash, and we've got a half an inch of ash in Portland in there. I was like, you have no idea. <laughs> all these people are like oh i'm freaking out you know yeah but when it did actually go um my brother actually knew dave johnson the gentleman that was a geologist that was up there saying now famously with the johnson ridge yes uh, exactly yeah. and he was good friends with him um and yeah it was him who said this is it so unfortunately and what was it uh vancouver here it comes yeah, because that's where the uh, U.S. Uh, geological um, yeah. offices were in Vancouver, Washington. Right, right. Now, I remember or I have read in the past that the volcano on, on the 18th uh, from the big explosion, continuous ash flow for 19 hours is what I read. Does that sound it to was, your memory? Yeah, yeah, I know it was extensive. And I, I if I had to go back and look, I wouldn't be able to a bit surprised if it was longer than that. Um, it just kept spewing ash. And I mean, it took months to recover if you were in line that they had ash all the way to South Dakota. And even at the, the lighter stuff that was in the atmosphere, it darkened um, a direct line of wherever the wind was going east. It, it uh, was in the atmosphere for months and months. But yeah, it was pretty crazy. Um, all the crops what? in uh, uh, Wenatchee, Yakima, that area, they were they were just decimated. So it took years to recover from the the, uh, the ash falling onto the ground. What did it do to your car? Well, that's interesting too. Um, it other than ruining my window, um, I didn't think that it really got into my engine. But I didn't check and didn't clean out, uh, didn't go and do a pressure wash in my engine. But my back seat was absolutely full of ash. I, it looked like a snowdrift in my back seat. Um, but it did ruin my window, so I ended up having to get that fixed. But less than 45 days later, I'm driving on the freeway and my engine seized up. Um, and then when the guy took a part, the head off the uh, engine and, and checked the gaskets, and the gaskets were fried but he said your engine was full of ash. And uh, yeah, and I would imagine, I mean, what would like, like turn to cement under heat. Yeah. It, and it did that too. So it fried everything that was, that uh, was either touched by oil or water, radiator fluid. And so, yeah, it, it destroyed my engine. That, that, that car saw its last days, <laughs> unfortunately. No, I, I, could only imagine. And I, I'm sure that kind of thing happened to a lot of other cars and, and vehicles at the time. Uh, nobody was prepared for that, you know, yep. not in that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember being a kid and, and playing in it and scraping it off of cars with a playing card to gather this little bit that I have. And it, it scratches paint and uh, easy. Yeah. Very easy, much yeah. so. Um, yeah. It was, it, it ended up becoming a, uh, another, uh, industry all on its own people were gathering it up and melting it down making clay pottery 
glassware with it and selling it like the pet rock for a while. It, yeah, I remember that. And I remember the t-shirts yep. and uh, especially the, the um, uh, Harry Truman shirts, give them hell, Harry. And, and yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, he was a legend. I, I mean, Spirit Lake, when I was a kid, Spirit Lake was a beautiful place to go and stay in camp. And they had a, I was in Boy Scouts too. And, and uh, I remember running up the side of the mountain and um, playing like crazy up there. It was just absolutely gorgeous. Very, very scenic. And Harry Truman lived right there um, near that uh, lake and also in that Johnson Ridge area. Um, it was, yeah. And I, in later part of my life, I had bought a cabin on the other side, the south side of the mountain, a place called Merrill Lake. Um, and it was, there wasn't a bit of ash on that side of the mountain, which is crazy. Just nothing. No devastation either on that side of the mountains. It was all on the northeast and east side of the mountain. Strange. And it, it, it was, is if it wasn't for earthquakes that knocked off that side of the mountain, it would have gone straight up or, or in a different direction. So we're sure it was unfortunate with the loss of life that was there, but uh, it was probably the, the less uh, loss of life. if haven't gone in that direction. No, it's, it's true. And it's, I, I, I have newspapers that I've gathered from various garage sales and flea markets and whatnot. And I, uh, on the anniversary, I sometimes bring them out and reread the, the reports and reread the language from the newspapers in the area at the time. And it's, it's, a good reflection to hear it from the people who were seeing it and experiencing it at the moment. Uh, the details is fascinating. And, and that's why I wanted to speak to you directly uh, for this anniversary uh, sure. episode um, to hear it directly from somebody who experienced it uh, as closely as you did. I can't imagine that hell ride. It, it, I keep seeing it as like something out of a movie, uh, oh, as, yeah. you know, in all, all alone pitch black can't even see the road don't know if you're on the road in territory that yeah and if you fall into a ash drift you may not get out i mean eh, it was scary and and it was one of those things where my angel on my shoulder the better judgment part of me was saying yeah turn around (laughs) your job's not worth it what are you doing and then the devil on the other side was going this is historic this is fun. You're going to really be telling this story for years. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> I think I'll listen to you little yeah, devil. That's um, fun. But no, did I, you, I, 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 I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say it was definitely uh, an experience. I'll never forget. And I appreciate you. Let me share it. Absolutely. Uh, so what I was curious of is, you go to work? Did they need you at work? Did you, I mean, did they <laughs> we didn't have was any, any reason? They, uh, yeah. The expo center was shut down for uh, probably another two and a half weeks. I didn't have to be there. <laughs> That's the other irony. Uh, I didn't get any kudos for making it to work or anything. So, yeah. Yeah, you'd think. I, um, I stayed in Washuba that whole time. How was your fiance's opinion of what you did? She, uh, well, 40 almost 43 years later, <laughs> we're still together. I, I, my decision-making hasn't gotten any better, but she's been very patient and loving. So, uh, yeah, she's, she's glad I made it alive and, and 
back down to uh, spend the rest of my life with her. Well, as long as you got to, you know, I think that's the the lesson of all of this is always carry Ritz crackers and a case of beer. Yes. Wherever you go in case of emergencies. <laughs> I would uh, I would have that in a uh, survival kit any day of the uh, week for sure. Well, Rob Robertson, I, I really appreciate you being on the program today and giving us this uh, this epic story of survival and adventure <laughs> during uh, during May 18th, 1980. Yeah, well, thank you for letting me share it. Uh, it's a day that will live in infamy, as uh, they have said in the past. And thanks again for having me today. I appreciate it. Yeah, good day. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Past episodes of Times Like Now can be found wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Trevor Collins. I can be reached, Trevor, at timeslikenow.com. Thank you to the letter J, Cody Robertson, for original music. And I look forward to speaking with you all next time.